Hey everyone, and welcome to the 20 Minute Marketing Podcast. I hope you're having a great day, and thanks for joining us for episode number 55. If you are new to the show, I'll give you a quick breakdown of how it works. So my name is Liam, and I'm the show host. I work at a UK-based company named Reach Interactive, and we help businesses to communicate with customers through SMS marketing. You can use this for things like competitions, promotions, delivery notifications, and lots more. During the 20-Minute Marketing Podcast, I chat with marketing experts on a whole range of different topics. We've covered just about everything from brand strategy right down to content marketing, SEO, landing pages, and everything in between. So be sure to have a scroll and check out some of our previous episodes if you're interested in learning about some new topics. The show's format is that I will quickly introduce our guest right now. We'll have around about a 15-minute conversation on a set topic. And then for the final two or three minutes, I have a couple of fun questions that I like to close out the episode with. So let's get started. I am super excited to welcome Jack Sperry to the show. Jack is the SEO manager at BTEE and PlusNet. So hey, Jack, how's it going today? I'm very well. How are you? Good to hear. And yeah, I'm doing really well, thanks. So everyone in the UK will obviously be familiar with BTEE and PlusNet, but around 25% to 30% of our listeners do come from overseas. So would you be able to quickly explain all three brands for them, please, Jack? Yeah, absolutely. So all three brands are housed in the consumer division of BT and BT is a huge business in the UK and the division is is a massive entity in its own right. So BT Consumer um, has over 30 million customers, over 600 stores in the UK and BT is the largest provider of consumer mobile and fixed broadband in the UK. And as part of the consumer setup, we have three brands. We have BT, E and PlusNet, all with distinct user bases, distinct tone of voice and positioning. They all do sell very similar products, but they sell them in slightly different ways. So as an example, E is um, probably the largest mobile network in the UK, or at least one of the most successful. And BT offers fixed line broadband and also offers things like um, TV and sport as well. So all very similar, but also quite different at the same time. And then we also have PlusNet, which offers things um, at a slightly more cheaper end of the market to capture that side of the business as well. Thanks for giving us a quick insight into all three brands. As I mentioned, they are really big household names here in the UK. I think you'd struggle to find someone on the street that has never heard of BT or EE, if I'm being honest. With that said, we're going to get started and talk about Jack's role in SEO, as well as scaling up, managing a team, establishing standards, and more. So stay tuned. So I'm just going to start with a quick and easy question, Jack. What is it like being the SEO manager at BT, EE, and PlusNet then? So first and foremost, it is is fun. We are very busy. There's an underlying pressure to deliver against our targets and our numbers, which is great. And as a business or as a team, we tend to take challenges head on. And we've been really successful this year in the form of some tremendous numbers, as well as being nominated for three industry awards, which is it's kind of cool. It's really nice to get that recognition from our peers within the industry. So, um, yeah, really enjoy it. But um, does come with quite a bit of pressure. But we make sure that we meet our standards and get those numbers in. It's great to hear that you've been nominated for those awards. So congratulations. I'd love to ask you some questions, first of all, around building an SEO team and how you deal with things like quality control. So let's start with the SEO team itself. How have you approached scaling up your team and what are some of the benefits that you've found of going in-house? 
Yeah, good question. So the team is structured in such a way that individuals have ownership of the SEO performance for key parts of the business. So what that could look like would be one person looking after, say, EE journeys and another person looking after Plusnet journeys to kind of give you guys a bit of an idea. Now we cover a huge array of templates and journey types and each one of these journeys has its own level of complexity and changes and velocity of activity. So um, those people are very focused on delivering consistent and, and almost daily changes to those parts of the business. Now personally, I'm a huge fan of the servant leader approach. My primary role in the team is to make sure everyone is set up for success. Now, when it comes to kind of looking in-house versus agency, like most things, there is a dichotomy. And we found that the benefits of having an in-house team is being closer to the brand, the business, and forging stronger personal relationships. Well, one of the benefits of having agency partners is that you get the outside perspective that can be lost when in-house teams are inward looking. So we tend to look at scale. We tend to think how we can deliver more value with less effort. And um, we kind of continue to do that daily. And it's not really a process that ever ends for us. Yeah, it's very interesting. And I agree that there are definitely lots of benefits of going in-house, but it's also important to get an outside opinion to ensure that you aren't missing out on anything too. So let's say someone is new to your team and only has a basic knowledge of SEO. Where would you start and where would you help them in terms of getting them on board and ready so that they can make a quick impact? We actually had that exact opportunity recently. Someone joined the team in a graduate placement, so a six-month placement to upskill in SEO and learn a bit more about the business. And it was the first time we did this, so we had to work out how we're going to approach it, what do we need to do. So we created a, a tailored training plan that was focused on learning alongside practical tasks that had a material impact to the business. So it wasn't just all online learning. It was things that were relevant to the work we were doing at the time, but also gave that person the skills and the theory and the context to be really effective in their role. Now, the person had a buddy in the team that acted as a coach and a mentor, as well as a lot of support from the wider team and created a culture of, there's no such thing as a bad question, um, keep asking us stuff. We have all the knowledge, just utilize our, our experience and our skills to answer any questions you have. Now, that, that was coupled with learning the tools and, and learning other bits within the business that help them to be effective and kind of move forwards. I guess the great thing about SEO is there's so much knowledge readily available on the internet and there's some great resources already that I always recommend to anyone getting involved in the industry for the first time. And that would be both Moz and Google have guides to SEO. And if you read those, um, it gives you a really strong foundation as to what you need to do to perform some base level optimization. I actually think the first resource that I ever read in a professional setting after leaving education was the beginner's guide to SEO from Moz. So I definitely agree with you there. And I would recommend that to anyone that's starting out or has someone new joining their team. Looking at your SEO strategy now, it's really interesting to me that you have a combined strategy across all three brands of BT, EE and Plusnet. Do you have any tips for SEO or marketing managers that are listening that might also work in a large and complex business area? Absolutely. So one of the most exciting things about BT is the scale. It's also one of the most challenging things. We work with dozens of multidisciplinary squads across the three brands. The work can be at times complex, so we look to simplify where possible and deliver smaller, more consistent iterations of work. So we tend to stay away from huge audits and single deliverables. We rather break those up into smaller chunks that the teams find it easier to digest and act upon. Now, we couple that with being really ruthless when it comes to prioritization. So if a particular piece is blocked, we move on to the next most important thing and finding out what works in one area and then scaling scaling it sorry, across the other parts of the business has been very useful in terms of us allowing to get that success faster than we would if we weren't to scale in an effective way. 
It sounds like you're implementing elements of agile marketing there by focusing on high value projects, completing them, and then continually monitoring them and improving over time. Yeah, absolutely. We, we're very much focused on agile and it's something that we've, we've done quite well. It's, it's quite unique to SEO. It's not, it's not a typical way that SEO teams would work, but after seeing the challenge within the business and recognizing that often if when we created these very long roadmaps, by the time we completed the roadmap, it was already out of date because things were moving that quick. So we moved to more of an agile view that allows us to pivot and, and not be afraid of change. So it's been quite successful and it's been one of the things that's helped us to drive the success that we've achieved, really. Yeah, I think using agile in SEO is really interesting and it's easy to get caught out by looking at long-term goals and big picture achievements when you could actually gain more success by prioritizing different segments and SEO related tasks and working on them individually at their own pace and treating them as individual projects. So speaking of SEO related tasks, I was chatting with a former guest on the show this week, Jen Penaluna from Bigfoot Digital, who joined us on episode 34 to talk about search intent. It was such a fantastic episode and it actually holds the record for most listens of all time on our show. I encourage everyone in SEO to give Jen an ad on LinkedIn and, and go back and listen to that one because she really is great. Anyway, I mentioned to Jen that you would be joining us to record an episode, Jack, and I asked her if she had any suggestions for some questions that I could ask you. One question that we'd like to ask is, how do you approach new Google updates such as page experience coming in May 2021? And if you have any tips for listeners that might not know how to prepare? Yeah, good question. So I, I think the, the page experience update is fairly unique. It isn't entirely unique, but it's fairly unique within the landscape in the fact that Google has been great at giving the industry plenty of advance notice that's coming up. So that's quite unusual. Usually things just change and you have to adapt very quickly. So what that has meant for us is allowed us to give forward warning to the business to ensure that the longer term technology decisions take into account our updated list of SEO requirements. So in larger businesses, it can take a while for things to happen. So we need to make sure that we're getting ahead of the game, so to say, in terms of tackling things upstream. Now, I guess my my main tip would be to look at what Google has provided as, as the base standard and try and achieve as much of that as possible, but also benchmark yourselves against competition. It's not always going to be possible to hit everything all the time, but you can ensure that you're doing more than your competitors in certain areas. And our take on, on the page experience changes that are coming is that ultimately the metrics are about providing a better experiences for your users or customers. So if you're not already listening and understanding your users and it's not part of your core SEO or marketing strategy, it's definitely something I'd recommend to look to in the future. Yeah, some really solid advice there. And I completely agree. We've been given a lot of notice for this update next year. And user experience is something that should always be prioritized, whether that's for SEO, paid ads or direct visits. I have one more question on how to be effective in your role. I'd be interested to know how you plan and manage the day-to-day -day of SEO when it comes to using industry tools and software. Our team at Reach that works on SEO is quite small and it's a challenge to know where to invest your time sometimes, especially when there are several industry tools that do great things but often overlap. For example, you have Hrefs, Moz, Content King, Screaming Frog, SEMrush and lots more. But as a small team, it's hard to balance your time and use them all to a certain level. So how do you approach using those tools and getting the most out of them? Yeah, no, that's, that's a really good question. It's something we do not struggle with, but it is a challenge that we've had to overcome. And I would say that if you're a smaller team, you probably potentially want to reduce the number of tools that you work with. They all have different 
benefits and they'll do slightly different things, but some tools um, offer very similar services. So as an example, um, I think you mentioned Ahrefs that also has a crawler. So you may just um, look at Ahrefs for your linked data and your crawl data in one place so that could save a bit of time. The challenge that a lot of large teams have is um, when you have multiple tools, they all do similar, slightly different things sometimes, and they use different data sets that are updated at different times. So um, we're at the point um, within BC where if we've noticed an uptick in performance or something that isn't performing so well, we have to check, say, three to four different tools to understand what's going on and what we need to do to change the direction of performance or to make it even better. Now, um, one thing you can do, apart from reducing the number of tools that you work with, is look at things like APIs. You can port all of that data into something like Google Data Studio or Tableau, and that will allow you to get all of the data in one place to allow you to make decisions a bit quicker. But that does come at a development cost, and you need to ensure that the APIs are updated and maintained, otherwise it kind of falls down and breaks quite a bit. I guess the, the other thing to um, help speed that up is to have a really good understanding of the tools. A lot of people onboard tools without ever really learning them to the ability that they probably should. So once you have a really clear view of the tools and the data that they provide, you can then be much more efficient in one, extracting the data, but also understanding the data and applying the, the lessons you can gather from the data into some recommendations. So to kind of summarize, look at potentially reducing the tools. If there's tools that are doing more than one thing, you could just use those. You can use APIs, import the data into a different platform so you get all the analysis in one place. Or you could just simply make the best use of time of having those tools and learn them inside out so you can be super efficient when it comes to getting that data. But I think it is quite a big challenge in the SEO industry because a lot of the tool vendors, instead of focusing on one area, they've moved into other areas, um, which makes it quite challenging when you have three or four tools that all do very similar things, but don't do them at equal levels. Yeah, that was very helpful. Thanks for sharing those tips. So we've covered building an SEO team and some strategy in a bit of detail now. Let's bring in the wider marketing team and other areas of the business too. So how do you approach establishing company-wide SEO standards across other strands of the BT group, such as design and content writers? So for the most part, our activity is split into two distinct categories. The first category is enabling the wider business to self-serve when it comes to SEO. And we do that through a variety of different methods. So one thing that we worked on is a large library of best practice information that's relevant to our brand and or our experiences and journeys. And we update this in line with changes in the industry or changes in the market. So that's been very useful in allowing people in the business to say, great, I'm working on a journey. What do I need to do from an SEO perspective? Benefit for us has been that it's freed up our time to work on other bits, which has been really beneficial in terms of being more um, effective in delivering our recommendations. Another thing we've done to enable the business to self-serve when it comes to SEO is to launch various SEO training programs that you can either attend face-to-face or on a Teams or Zoom call, but also a online learning library that you could tap into at any point in the day. Say when you've got 20 minutes spare, you want to learn a bit about SEO, you can read a bit, do a quiz and see how you get on. So still in the early stages, but so far we've been quite happy with that. So that's the first part and that's helped us to train the business and train elements of the business to understand more about SEO. Now the, the second half of what we do is more of a consultancy piece where we work very closely with teams and groups and projects to ensure that they meet SEO standards. And 
we do that through our build, measure and learn approach. So it's a it's an approach that's very core to what we do. It's, it's not uncommon in the SEO world because what we do for the most part is analyze the market. We look at what the search market is doing. We look at what our competitors are doing. We benchmark kind of certain KPIs and metrics, and then we see what improvements we can make on the site using the data that we've collected. Now we bring this to a, a multidisciplinary session where we have a build, measure, learn canvas where people can put different pieces of information. So it could be things like what is the business strategy? What are the customers trying to achieve? What's the feedback we've got from our user research teams? And we are a team of people that provide information and context to that wider canvas. And it's been really useful because that allows everyone working on the project to understand what some of the SEO drivers are, what some of the user drivers are, and the business drivers. And that ensures that there's a consistent thread of data and learnings that people can go through when they're building these journeys. So that comes that comes under the build and measure. And then once the journey has launched, we then learn from it and iterate based on what we're seeing in the market. And we go back to the beginning where we look at the data and analyze the journeys that have been built and then continuously go through this process, iterating, improving each time to get better and better results out of that given journey. So that's really core to what we do. And it's something that we do like to do because it shouldn't sound unfamiliar to anyone in SEO because it's kind of the process that we go through anyway as an industry. We're always looking at the data. We're always coming up with um, recommendations to improve the numbers. I think it's really cool that you've created the build, measure, learn approach because I think it's easy to just assume that everyone in marketing understands SEO and why it's important. But if we take a content marketer or a brand expert, for example, they might know about a specific tactic inside SEO, but not understand why it's important or the impact that it could have on the greater aspects of marketing. So I imagine that a centralized learning center for people that work in other areas of the business really helps with learning about SEO. But it also gives them a chance to learn about a new theme of marketing or a new topic that they might want to learn and might know about, but haven't had a resource or the opportunity to do so. So just to close out the episode, do you have an SEO prediction for 2021 and maybe an insight or strategy that you think might help people that are listening? Yes. So my prediction for 2021 would be to expect more of the same. Um, It's very hard to predict what Google's going to do, apart from the fact that it will be unpredictable. Um, We know there's some big things coming in terms of the new user experience metrics. We know that page speed is going to be more important. Ultimately, we don't really have much foresight around what Google is trying to achieve. So like ever, I guess my recommendation would be to ensure that you're flexible and able to respond to these changes as and when they happen. And probably the the most useful thing to check would be your your page speed. So not only is it important for SEO, because it's one of the few metrics that Google and other search engines have confirmed make up their their collection of ranking signals, but also benefits things like the on-page experience. So it reduces, in theory, bounce rate or any negative KPIs. And also it helps customers or users find what they're looking for much quicker. So it, it should have a a multi-layered benefit, not just to SEO. So so it's a really important thing to get right. We've seen some great uplift from improving page speed across rankings and and other kind of KPI sets, but it it just seems like the obvious thing to do. But I would caveat it to say it can be quite costly from a development perspective. So obviously you have to weight it against all of the other things you're looking to do and, and work out where you can get the most value. Yeah, I'm really glad that you said site speed there in your answer, because while it plays a big role in SEO, obviously, It does impact overall customer experience too. And I think the big picture essentially is to provide the best service possible for our customers and prospective customers so that they can come back again and again to make repeat purchases. So we're going to wrap up the main section right here. 
I'll be asking Jack two quick questions in our outro for the final few minutes of the episode. So stay tuned and we'll be right back. So to close out the episode, I ask every guest two quick fire questions that focus on their career. And it's a little bit more fun and lets us close out in a bit of a lighthearted way. So my first question is, do you have a fun or memorable story that stands out when you look back on your career? It could be something funny, cringeworthy, inspirational, a little bit scary, or something um, that might be all of those things all at once. Yeah, so actually, early on in my SEO career, I accidentally blocked one of the client sites I was working with via robots.txt. So what that meant, the client wasn't really receiving any SEO traffic for, I think, a day or two before I caught it. Now, luckily, I did catch it fairly quickly. I realized by looking at analytics that the numbers were down quite significantly. And it was a very much um, stressful time for that account because we essentially blocked search engines from seeing the website for, for a couple of days. But luckily, all the other work I was, I was doing at the time for that particular client kind of paid off and didn't really impact their um, kind of week on week or month on month on year on year numbers. But very stressful time, um, quite embarrassing, but I did learn a lot. And now whenever I'm looking at anything like robots.txt, I double and triple and sometimes quadruple check to make sure that no mistakes are made. Hopefully it helps all of our listeners and that we all double check from now on when we are making robots.txt changes or doing anything else behind the scenes that might have an impact. My final question is, do you have a favorite resource that you think might help listeners with their daily task? It could be a blog, a newsletter, an SEO plugin, a hardback book, or something that you just think might bring value to our listeners. Cool. I'm going to give you three because I couldn't really choose which one to exclude. So I think for just generalist learning, one of the most useful resources I've ever come across has been the Farnham Street blog. And it's taught me all sorts of things around like mental models, how to learn more quickly and how to make better decisions. And that's really helped me to amplify my own developments. So I'd, I'd highly recommend that for anyone, really. And it's just well worth a read. Now, for SEO specific things, I'd absolutely recommend getting a, sc- a crawling tool. It could be anyone. It could be Content King, it could be Screaming Frog, it could be Botify or Oncrawl. But if you do not have a crawling tool, it's very hard for you to understand what's happening on your website. So that's um, that's my specific kind of tip for SEO tools. And then for SEO guidance and news, follow just a bunch of people on, on Twitter. I won't, I won't name off the net names, but John Miller is a really good place to start. He's the search liaison guy from Google, and he's the guy that explains or announces any changes to the algorithm and what's, talks about what's coming up in the future. So he's definitely worth a follow if you're not following him already. Awesome. I've actually been listening to his podcast this year with Martin and Gary from Google too. I will be honest, some of it goes straight over my head and I have no idea what they're talking about. Um, So it can get a little bit technical, but they do make it fun. And there are lots of great puns in there. I don't know if you've had a chance to check that out, Jack, but yeah, I'd recommend that one to SEOs. I've listened to podcasts. I've seen some of the YouTube videos. It is is a bit techy at times, but they, they do explain things quite well to make it quite accessible. So yeah, it's quite good. Yeah, I agree. So we're going to close out the episode here. Thank you for joining us today, Jack, and giving up your time. I really appreciate it. You've definitely given some great tips to both the SEO community and marketers that have a direct relationship with SEO. So yeah, thanks for joining us. Cool. Thanks for having me. Not a problem. It was a pleasure having you on the show. To all of our listeners, thanks for the support. I really appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed this episode just as much as I did, which I'm sure is the case. We'll be back next week with another exciting topic. It's going to be the first part of a double header to close out the year. So be sure to check back on Wednesday, the 13th of December to hear that one.